Welcome to Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. You'll be learning their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your own business. And welcome back to a fresh episode of Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm excited to be joined by Dennis Brown today. Dennis has built three multi-million dollar businesses during his 25-year career as an entrepreneur. During that time, his companies have been ranked seven times on the prestigious Inc. 5000 fastest growing company list. He's the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Successful LinkedIn Users and has generated over $20 million in new business from LinkedIn and social selling. He's also the host of the top 50 rated marketing podcast, called Growth Experts, where he and his guests share proven growth strategies, tactics, and tools. Dennis, warm welcome. How's it going? Ah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No worries, man. So looking forward to, to learning from yourself. Um, you've generated a serious amount of revenue using, using LinkedIn, so excited to share with our audience how you've made that happen. Um, but before we get to some of your best practices when it comes to digital, when it comes to LinkedIn, it'd be great to learn a bit more about yourself, Dennis. So if you could tell us a bit more about your background, uh, a snapshot of your story, perhaps some of the businesses you've worked at up to now, and a few actionable tips when it comes to sales, marketing, or, or business in general. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So I'm that guy that people probably never thought would become an entrepreneur. I had no entrepreneurial uh, ambitions as a kid or in high school or even in college. Uh, you know, I, I went to college and I studied pre-law. I was planning on being a lawyer. And uh, I realized, you know, late in my college uh, journey that there were 400,000 law students at the time. And there were also 400,000 lawyers in the US. And the world didn't need another lawyer. So, uh, and I was a broke college student, went and got a sales job, <clears throat> was uh, self-proclaimed the absolute worst salesperson they had ever hired. <laughs> and uh, don't know why my boss didn't fire me because I was terrible. And um, it took about six months, but after about six months um, and wanting to quit a hundred times, uh, I became one of the top salespeople and went on to do really well in that company. And, uh, and then I thought I had it all figured out <laughs> and uh, decided to go start my own venture. And Basically got kicked in the teeth as an entrepreneur for the first five, six, seven years, uh, trying to learn, you know, figure out my way, my path, worked on a variety of different projects and ideas and businesses. And none of them really got a whole lot of traction. I mean, I'd make a little bit of money, I'd lose money. I'd get, I had some miserable failures and some limited success. And then um, in 1998, I co-founded a dot-com company during, in the U.S. here, there was a big bubble, uh, dot-com bubble, where there was a lot of money and a lot of energy going into internet properties and internet technology and, and uh, started a, a dot-com company in 98, <clears throat> grew that company very rapidly to seven figures, and then 9-11 hit, and, uh, and that changed the world forever for a lot of people. Um, including myself. <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, that company, we ended up having to close that company down because we were unable to 
you know, sustain the business from a capital perspective. But it was a great journey. We learned, uh, learned a lot in that business. It was a company called so what were you What were you doing in that business, Dennis, in terms of the, the products you were selling or the services and, and things? Yeah, it was a company called Tech 21. And what we did initially was we sold branded email. For us. So one of the products we sold was branded email. So back then, early on, that's when uh, Hotmail had come out and become a huge success through the okay. reality of having web-based email. So we had private labeled web-based email that we would sell predominantly to brands. So we weren't selling the email, more corporate email, it was more a branding tool. So our clients, we had clients like Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch. So there, nice. we had affinity-based email. So we worked with companies where consumers had an affinity with the brand and we would create affinity-based email uh, for them, for the brands. Um, and then, so that was part of it. We had a lot of great clients. I mean, we had you know, clients like Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and, uh, you know, which is MGM Studios and Marvel Comics and and Def Jam Records. And I mean, we had a lot of great brands we worked with, Budweiser, Major League Baseball, a lot of, a lot of really great brands that were affinity based. And, um, and then we pivoted uh, into, we acquired a small software company out of uh, <clears throat> Edmonton, Alberta. And they had a proprietary software technology they had developed that allowed us to, you know, without boring everybody, rapidly develop desktop applications. So Back in like 99, 2000, everything was like a, you know, the, it was a web-based desktop application. So I, I'll, everybody out that will resonate is like, if you've ever downloaded, there's an, a very popular app called Weatherbug, where you can download okay. it to your PC and it'll, it'll give you weather updates in your, in your desktop tray, right? Well, that's very common now for that sorts of stuff. But back then that didn't really happen. There wasn't a lot of that. So we did a lot of custom desktop application for different brands. And, um, you know, we were doing really well. And unfortunately, you know, the, the financial markets fell apart and we were unable to continue to raise additional capital. And, you know, it almost threw me into personal bankruptcy. It was a really tough time, but. Um, Sounds really tough, man. That's been a real, real bad time to hit. In terms of um, going into that company, you, you sounds like you had some massive clients. Like you said, you grew it to seven figures, which is huge. Mm -hmm. How did you do that? Was it because it was such an unusual product or was it because you had a awesome marketing plan or tell us a bit more about that yeah you know honestly it really uh, that was pretty early in my career where you know one of the lessons i learned from that is the difference between sales and marketing we were very very much a sales driven company so we were doing believe it or not anheuser-busch and all those brands we cold called every one of those brands wow. so okay. we did not have a very sophisticated customer acquisition strategy um, so we cold called all those brands, which is very difficult and even more difficult today, obviously, but it was very difficult back then. And so, you know, we had a group, we had a sales team, uh, that we had built and trained, I trained and worked with to do outreach in different verticals, you know, that we were going after. And, um, it was really, it was really labor intensive. And one of the things I learned from that, one of the big lessons that I learned from that is that unfortunately, as successful as we were, that business model was never going to scale. It was never going to scale to nine figures. I mean, you might be able to get it to eight figures, but you'd never get it to nine figures. And the reason being is because in order to sell those types of solutions, you basically had to be a shark. I mean, you had to be a very high level salesperson because you were trying to navigate 
Fortune 1000 brands, which whenever you're trying to sell them a product, you know, of any value, you know, where it's at least 10,000 to 50,000 to maybe a hundred thousand dollar product, uh, navigating those waters is very challenging. So the average salesperson just couldn't handle it. So the problem was, is that I had to touch every deal. I had to be involved in the negotiation and the closing phases of every deal. And it just was Got never going to, it was never going to scale. It was, it could be a highly profitable business as a, as a seven or maybe even a small eight figure business, but it, but it could never scale to nine figures. So that was another, that was another learning lesson uh, Got it. Throughout, throughout their journey. No, that's good. You, you identify that. And that's, is that because it was more enterprise level, Dennis, in terms of there was multiple decision makers, it was quite complex sales cycles and things like that. Yes, exactly. We were, that's who we were really selling to. We were selling to, to brands that had strong affinities and the only brands that have strong affinities are companies that have spent a lot of time, you know, money marketing that. And those are typically larger companies, right? Got it. So, well, that's all. so yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's cool, man. It's awesome that you're able to, to reach out to them cold and bring on board huge brands like this is, which this day and age, obviously this was back in 1998, which I'm guessing it was a little bit easier to contact companies than it is here in 2020. Well, yes and no, because there wasn't the data either, right? It was a lot harder to access the data. We didn't have, we didn't have, there wasn't a lot of people using the internet, so it was hard to track them down. So you were buying databases with just phone numbers, right? It was hard to even identify who the decision makers were back then. Unlike, you know, LinkedIn didn't exist back then, you know? So it was one of those things where you couldn't just pull up and find out who the director of marketing was or the vice president of marketing was. It wasn't that easy like it is today. So there was definitely pros and cons to the timing of it. But, um, but ultimately that business, I ended up having to close that business down. It almost threw me into personal bankruptcy. Uh, I was behind on my mortgage. I was behind on my taxes. I was, I was behind on everything. And I had, and uh, at or around that time, I had decided that I was going to get married, which was a brilliant move for my, for me, not for my wife, of course. So um, I know the feeling. Yeah. So we were figuring (laughs) out, we were figuring out what we were going to do next. And, uh, you know, I stumbled into this idea of third party logistics, which is like a freight management company. I was out golfing with a buddy of mine and he had mentioned how he had done some work with a, <clears throat> with a 3PL and de- helped develop some software for him. And he said, have you ever thought about it? Cause he knew I was looking for another opportunity and, um, and I hadn't thought anything about it, but it kind of fell in the back of my head and I started doing a little research and next thing you knew, I put together a business plan and uh, went back to that same gentleman who had developed software and we became partners in the business, launched that business in, um, in 2003, uh, had no experience in logistics or transportation or freight management, none of that. <clears throat> it's really just a B2B service company and um, okay. ended up growing that company over the next 13 years to about 80 million in sales. And then I sold that in 2016. So there was a, there's a lot in between there, but that was one of the, that was, that was what I was fortunate to, to build off the heels of having a major failure, right? Which was that dot-com company. So um, out of the, out of the ashes, we were fortunate enough to develop a, a nice business. Was it, was it hard to do something again, Dennis, after you'd had a business that had taken a massive hit? Was it hard to build up the motivation to think oh, I'm going to go at it, going to go from scratch again, rather than just joining another company as an employee? It was. Um, 
it was a very difficult time. It was a tough time. I questioned myself. I questioned my decisions. I questioned my ability. I mean, there was a lot of, it was a pretty dark time. It was a really, you know, as I, as I look back on it, it was a very difficult time. And I remember sitting down and just thinking, you know, what am I going to do next? And what I realized is that I, at that point, I had been an entrepreneur for so long I considered myself unemployable, right? I don't think there's anybody that would hire me because I had worked on my own so long. It was, it would be difficult for me to have that type of structure. And I probably wouldn't fit very well in corporate America at that point because <laughs> I was so used to startups. And, um, and so I just, I, I realized, I also saw that the dot-com bubble that burst, you know, there was the bubble and then the burst, right? Sure. Which where, where you had all these companies going out of business um, in flames. And um, I realized that I could let that opportunity define me or I could build upon it. And so I, you know, when the, when the third party logistics opportunity came and I really, it really resonated with me for a variety of reasons. I thought it was good timing. I thought my background fit. There was just a lot of good components to it. I just said, you know what, I'm all in. And I went all in very, very hard for well over a decade. And, um, and the results were fortunately we had some great results. No, that's amazing. Especially, did you say you sold it for 80 million in the end? Was that right? So I ended up growing the company's revenue. We grew the company's revenue in 2015. The company did over 80 million in revenue. Nice. Um, and then uh, I sold it early in 2016. It, it was an undisclosed amount for the for the sale but we grew you can imagine we grew the revenues to about 80 million in sales so it was it was a Got good it, and are there any secrets or strategies that you could share with us in terms of how you're able to do that so obviously you started it in 2003 grew it over those 13 years or so um what would you say that was down to i mean again was it cold calling and reaching out to customers cold or did you guys do a bit of digital strategy or was there certain techniques or strategies you learned from your previous business that you thought i can't do this again i need to do this well, early on, one of the things that I liked about the business compared to the prior business, I, I described to you and we talked about how in the prior business, we were, had a very sophisticated sales process and, and had to navigate. It was difficult to navigate where it, you had sure. to be a very high level salesperson in order to, to land and negotiate those deals. One of the things I liked about the logistics business was that the decisions were being made by low to mid-level managers. So the point of entry and the complexity was not nearly as difficult. So what I realized is I could take an average salesperson and I could make them pro a profitable business unit on their own, stand standalone, which didn't require you know, someone at a very high level to try to close. So I knew right there that number one, it'd be easier to acquire customers. Uh, yeah. Number two, there was a recurring revenue stream because it wasn't a one-time development project like software has a tendency to be. And then, um, and so, so ultimately that those were some of the, some of the ingredients. And so we started up with just a, a very intensive inside sales effort. You know, year one, we, we, we identified a really small niche that we wanted to, to really dive into. We, so we got very, very niche. And um, year one, we dove in and just did a lot of cold calling, smiling and dialing and just, you know, pressing the flesh as much as we could. But most of it happened, you know, over the phone. And uh, we grew that business to about $1.2 million the first year. And I knew at that point that we had, you know, we had our hands on something. Um, and so I realized that um, 
you know, that we were going to double down on it. And so we expanded the niche and adjusted a little bit. And then in year two, we did about $3.6 million. And again, we were not, uh, we didn't have any venture capital. We didn't, you know, we were basically bootstrapping this with a little bit of cash that we had put together between the partners. And, um, and we were off to the races and, and in the, con- the business continued to grow. We did a million, then we did 3.6 million, then we did 6 million, then we did 12 million. And that rock was getting really heavy. And if you know, if you've scaled your business before, you realize it's really easy to go from a million to 2 million. It's really hard to go from 10 million to 20 million right? There's a big difference. Even though you're doubling, okay. it's a big difference. And so, you know, that rock started getting really heavy and it was getting very challenging to continue to grow at those rates. So I was looking for an opportunity or a channel or a strategy that could help us generate more leads and sales. And I stumbled across LinkedIn and that's when my love affair with LinkedIn began. <laughs> and when I, and when I first started, it wasn't much of a love affair, to be honest with you. I was uh, I was a total social media naysayer. <laughs> I didn't think social media had a place in business. I was very naive. I guess I was a little bit set in my ways. We believed in digital. We were doing video and we were blogging and we were doing SEO, but, but I just couldn't understand how social media was going to generate business. I just didn't get it. You know, all I saw was Facebook, right? In my eyes, I just kept on referring back to Facebook. And, and it's funny because I used to have arguments with my wife about how stupid Facebook was and what a waste of time it was. And um, so I joined LinkedIn. A friend sent me an invite to join LinkedIn. And I did it for two reasons. I did it, one, because I was looking for a way to a new strategy to supplement our efforts. But secondly, I was doing it because I wanted to prove myself right. Basically, <laughs> and I know that's dumb. I wanted to prove that it wouldn't work. And so... Yep. So it was kind of, I went into it and I said, you know what, let's give it a try for a month or two and see how it goes. And I went into LinkedIn, did everything wrong, did a horrible job, did everything wrong, but I threw enough mud up against the wall that a little bit stuck and I ended up landing a six-figure client within the first couple months. Whoa. And so at that point, I realized I was like, well, I don't even know what the heck I'm doing. <laughs> And I just landed a six-figure client through LinkedIn. Maybe I should really pay attention to this. And at that point, that's really when the love affair began. And uh, I developed a system that I then taught to my team. And then we leveraged that, uh, what is now known as social selling through LinkedIn as a strategy to generate all. That was our primary strategy from that point forward that we used to go from, I think at the point that we joined, that I joined LinkedIn, maybe we were doing around 12 million in sales. And then we parlayed that into over 80 million per year in sales. And I would tell you that 90 plus percent of that came through LinkedIn and social selling. That's incredible, dude. So you started off as a naysayer. You weren't too keen to try it. Started started using it. When you say you did everything wrong, what does that mean? Because my idea of everything wrong might be completely different to yours. Does that mean of connecting with people randomly and then instantly pitching them all your products and services or is it something different or yeah early on i mean i didn't know anything about social media because i had not spent anything on it you understand at that time um i think i had a facebook account but it was under an alias of james bond because i didn't want anybody (laughs) to know i was on facebook okay and I only had that on so I could see pictures of my daughter because my first daughter was born in 2006 and my relatives were always posting pictures of her, but I couldn't see them because I didn't have an account. So I literally set up an account under James Bond because I just wanted to be able to look at those pictures. And 
So I wasn't doing much on social media. So I was a total neophyte and you know, you do, you make all the mistakes, right? You don't optimize your profile. You know, it looks like a resume and you're sending out spammy messages and you're connecting with the wrong people. And you know, you're, you're just doing everything wrong. And back then LinkedIn was very different back then. This was back in 2008, right? So this is 12 years ago, right? So this is a long time ago. LinkedIn, if you don't have the advantage of knowing what it looked like back then, trust me, it's, it's way better now than it was then, as you can imagine, most platforms. Yeah, I, I, don't, even think, no, I don't even think I was on the platform then, because I, I might have joined in maybe 2010, something like that. And at that stage, I just thought it was a CV online recruitment tool, nothing else. And, and that's, a, that's what people were using it for back then. They were just using it for a way to get a job or find people to hire. Nobody, nobody was using it for sales. I mean, it was probably a minuscule percentage. Nobody was using it for lead generation, sales, networking. Nobody was really using it for that. It was always looked at as a job. They didn't even have good tools back then. The tools were terrible. But what I realized is that it was a very target-rich environment because the decision makers of, of, of my buyers were on there. They had profiles and they checked their, their messages periodically and they would engage with content a little bit and there was different features and so I realized, listen, they come there. And if they're there, it's one of the few places I could find online where I could, they would aggregate, right? They, they, would come to, they would come together. Every place else, it was very difficult to identify. Of course, they go to Google, but then you got to do paid ads. And it's, you know, there's a whole a different challenge there. So, so, yeah, so we dove into LinkedIn and social selling and we doubled down on it. It, it paid us off in spades. We did really, really well. And that system evolved over the years as the technology evolved and as our sophistication has evolved. And, um, and uh, then, then after I sold the business, right? After I sold the business, I was kind of naive. I thought that, I thought that everybody was doing what we were doing, right? I thought that all my competitors were doing, because this was years later, right? I started, that was, this was eight years later. And so, you know, I... Uh, I thought everybody was doing what we were doing, but when I sold the business, I had a whole bunch of people coming to me and asking me, how did you grow the business? And I've heard you're doing LinkedIn and what's this LinkedIn thing? And come to find out there was very few people that were doing it. And so, you know, I started doing some consulting and coaching uh, with just some close friends and associates that I had and um, word got out. The next thing you knew I was doing, I had accidentally fallen into a LinkedIn consulting and coaching business. And, um, and I've had a lot of fun doing it since. I put together a course. Uh, I work with a lot of great brands in and around social selling and LinkedIn marketing. And, and that's where we are today. Awesome, man. So, but it sounds like you almost fell into the LinkedIn consultancy just because you had such great success with it. Totally, totally fell into it. I had no intentions of taking that, that, that system and creating a course or a consulting business out of it. I did it exclusively to scratch my own itch. That was it. I had no intentions of doing it. You know, I would love to say that I could take credit for the fact that I thought about this way in advance and I knew I was going to sell it later, but that just wasn't the case. I just used it as a tool for my business. We leveraged it for my business. It worked really, really well. And then I figured out a way to help other businesses leverage it the same way. And, and most of the clients that I work with are in B2B. They're either coaches, consultants, B2B service providers. Those are the bulk of the clients that I work with. Cool. Okay. So I'm going to put you on the spot a bit here, Dennis. Um, you've done over Fire. 20 million on LinkedIn. So a lot of people listening may have, may have done deals over LinkedIn. Um, they may have done deals from a few hundred pounds, few hundred dollars to a few thousand dollars. But how do we take that next step? 
and getting six figure clients because that's that's a pretty big leap from doing i don't know say a, a deal from a few grand up to that massive spectrum even a few hundred thousand dollars how do you how do you take the difference is it still the same strategies that we should be using or is there something completely different that i've never heard of that the audience have never heard of on how to land these these type of big hitting clients now here's the good news there's nothing significantly proprietary or secret or behind the curtains that I'm going to be able to provide for you today that you're going to say, Oh my God, I didn't know that existed. Right. I mean, LinkedIn is LinkedIn. There's a few primary ways that people get clients through LinkedIn. One is paid ads, which I don't specialize in, but paid ads can work really well because their platform has gotten much, much better. Uh, if you guys are interested in paid ads, I don't do it. Don't call me. Don't reach out to me. I'm not going to be able to help you. But there's a gentleman by the name of AJ Wilcox, who's a good friend of mine. He specializes in, in paid ads. He's done hundreds of millions of dollars worth of paid ads spend on LinkedIn. So if you're a big brand and you're ready to spend some bucks because LinkedIn is not cheap, feel free to reach out to him. Okay. So my, my focal point is more organic driven. So there's two primary, if you think about it on a macro level, there's two primary strategies on LinkedIn for, for uh, organic. One is content. In the last few years since uh, Microsoft has acquired LinkedIn, um, the platform has become a well-established content distribution channel. It wasn't always that way. So some of you that are just joining LinkedIn now or just starting to dig in, you're a bit spoiled because it wasn't always that way, right? Even back in 2010, it was not a big, when you joined, Sam, it was not a big content play. There was content but it wasn't, if you, you had to be a major influencer or you had to be handpicked by LinkedIn in order to really get any traction with content. You had to be like a Bill Gates or a Richard Branson or a, you know, someone like that, right? A high profile entrepreneur. But sure. now the average person like you and I can go on LinkedIn and leverage content and build an audience, uh, build some awareness, get tons of engagement. And then with that engagement, convert those conversations offline, right? Digital converting to offline. So content can be a very powerful play, right? And so in two, I'll give you a quick story. In 2018, I did a, I became what I call the crash test dummy for content marketing on LinkedIn, right? So I okay. went on LinkedIn and I did tons of experiments, experiments throughout the whole year on different types of content, whether it be, you know, all the different formats, different ways to generate leads, calls to action, you know, different topics, the whole ball of wax. I mean, I did hundreds of experiments, hundreds, crazy. And what I realized was I figured out a, a basic system and a framework on how to leverage content to generate inbound leads with LinkedIn. Cause everybody would love inbound leads rather than always having to do outreach. They want inbound leads. So, um, in that year I generated during that test, I generated over 3,500 inbound leads, all organic, all through content that I had published on LinkedIn. And so I put together a guide. It's called the ultimate guide to generating inbound leads with LinkedIn. Um, you know, we can put the URL in there or whatever. You just go to askdennisbrown.com forward slash guide, and you can get that for free. It's a 22 or 23 page guide that walks through the entire framework of how to leverage content to generate inbound leads. And so you know, inbound, you know, generating, uh, using content can be a great strategy for inbound leads. And even if you're not generating for leads, it can be a great, a great tool for building awareness, right. And building your brand, whether that be your personal brand or your corporate brand or product, whatever it's driven, whatever you're focused on. 
And then so, so content is a big one, particularly the last three, four years. And then the other one that's been around for a long time is just doing targeted outreach, right? Where you are finding, connecting, and engaging with your target market. And so, again, there's nothing that's holding anybody back that's listening to this right now to going in and finding, connecting, and engaging with their target market. You know the only thing that's missing, Sam? What is it? The only thing that's missing is a system. Here's the problem okay. with people on LinkedIn. And here's the problem with people in almost any marketing strategy. It's they'll, one day they'll go in and they'll say, hey, I'm going to connect with a few people. And then a week later, they'll come back in and they'll say, hey, I'm going to publish some content today. And a few days later, they'll do something different. They don't have a system, right? So it's, it's really kind of like just random, hey, I'm going to go into LinkedIn today and see what's going on. The next day, they'll just start surfing around and they'll comment on somebody else's content. And all of those things are great. But when there's no proven system for doing it, you're not going to get predictable results. So you're going to get very, you're going to get, you're just going to get very unpredictable results because you're not there's no consistency. It's like anything else. It's like any sort of marketing, right? If you do it once or you do it periodically, you're not going to have any real, you're not going to build any real momentum. The secret to LinkedIn and social selling is to have a proven system. So you need to have a system of number one, how to optimize your profile to ensure you're making a good first impression. Number two, you need to understand how to find your exact target market. Number three, you need to understand how to in, you know, connect with them in such a way that you get a high connection ratio as opposed to getting three out of 10 people to connect with you. You can get eight out of 10 people to connect with you. And then you've got to learn how to engage them, whether it be through content or through some sort of messaging se sequence. And then once they start engaging with you, you've got to learn how to convert those conversations into the real world because we know that nothing's going to get sold through LinkedIn Messenger, right? So you're going to have to convert those into a Zoom call or into a phone call or into a face-to-face -face meeting. So having that process is really the secret. It's not any one individual thing. It's having a well-documented process that's proven to work. And that's why everybody asks me, you know, they ask me, you know, in my profile, it says, uh, I've generated over $20 million with LinkedIn. Ask me how. And when people send me a message, almost every day, somebody will send me a message. Okay, I'm asking how. How did you do it? And I'll say, I have a proven system and it's that system that's the reason why. It's not because of any one one-off strategy or viral piece of content, it's having a real system. And so that's that's really the key. Got it, got it. No secret source as such, but I guess that comes no. down to any any foundation, be it sales, be it marketing, you've got to have a system that you can follow consistently to, to get consistent results. Yeah, and there's Otherwise no... You're just and there are no secrets anymore. It's the internet, right? Anything that somebody figures out within a very short order no longer is a secret. So, you know, it's like SEO, right? You, you're a digital marketing guy, right? SEO. Are there any real secrets in SEO? Not really. I mean, like Not you really, say, right? all the information is available online. Right. All the information is available. It's all out there. If you want to find it and use it, it's there. I mean, you know, I mean, there's it, it obviously, and it continues to evolve and change, but the reality is, is those, there's no real secrets anymore. Um, you know, there's people that do growth hacks and, and always try to press the envelope. And there's these people out there that are developing all this LinkedIn software to try to do automation. And, and I don't recommend any of that because it's number one, it's against LinkedIn's terms of service. And it's a great way to get your great way to get your account suspended or terminated. 
And number two, um, if you've ever received uh, uh, automation from anybody on this using automation on LinkedIn, so it can be a complete nightmare because they don't, you know, the, the system is not intelligent enough to actually do true automation. And so, you know, um, I'm not a big fan of that. I think that, you know, having a very simple system, something where you can log in 30 to 60 minutes a day, you can connect with the target market, you can engage with them, and you can have a simple way to convert those conversations offline is really the key. It's not, you know, again, there is no secret sauce. It's really just about that system. And is that something that can work for pretty much any industry or is each each um, industry or company vertical got a slightly different process as in say I was doing an hour of LinkedIn a day, I could connect with my ideal customers that might be marketing managers, marketing directors, business development directors. So I could connect, maybe spend 30 minutes connecting with those guys, sending them a, a nice personal request and then 30 minutes creating my own post and then pay maybe the rest of the time just engaging on other people's content. So if that was my process, for example, would that be the same for any other company or for, or for any other person in a different industry to me? Or does it vary quite a bit depending on what you do? The system will be relatively the same. It's setting that system up and targeting the right people. So for example, if you're targeting fortune 500 brands and you have an enterprise software that you're selling to them, um, targeting the CEO or the CFO or the COO or a C-level executive in a large company is always going to be harder and more challenging and more complex than targeting, uh, you know, the CEO of a 10-person company, right? That's, that is a small business. So it's always going to be a little bit harder. And so your, your strategies will have to change and morph a little bit, but the system is relatively the same. And so what I find LinkedIn is, is an amazing place for B2B marketers, right? So if you're selling to a business, if you have a product or a service, whether that be coaching, consulting, done for you, SEO, whatever it is, you know, LinkedIn is a very target rich environment and you can target anywhere from small to medium to large businesses as long as you have the right strategy, right? As long as you have the right um, and, and the tactics to, to fit that exact glove. And so on the other side of it, if you have a consumer brand, most people don't think about it for a consumer brand. They're like, well, you know, but you know, that would be more Facebook oriented. Yeah, but let's think about it. If you have, if you're selling, let's say you're selling watches, I don't know, hypothetical watches, that would be more of a consumer brand. You're typically not selling sure. those to businesses, but just imagine using LinkedIn as a tool to find resellers, to connect with influencers to connect with the P, with PR, right? With people in the media. You could use it for those three channels for your consumer brand as a way to create channel distribution, other marketing opportunities, collaborations. So there's tons of opportunities there even for consumer brands, although they're not selling direct to the consumer, they're leveraging that audience as a great way to further their efforts and, and supplement what they're currently doing. I mean, perfect example, I've used LinkedIn to generate hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of PR for my business connecting with the media, whether that be articles that I've been featured in, whether that be podcasts I've been on, whatever the case may be, the media, there's a lot of media people there that you can use that same sort of system. So a lot of people have a sense to, have, a sense to have, have that straight line where they just want to go direct to the customer. But what about using it for, for generating PR? What about using it to find value-added resellers or affiliates? I mean, those are great opportunities on LinkedIn that most people don't think about for a consumer brand. 
Yeah, that's a great point. Something we've not really chatted about much on the show yet in terms of actually looking to build partnerships rather than just direct business or opportunities, actually affiliates, partnerships, like you say, to strengthen your business, to market your business. Great point. Sure. Okay. Now, some great tips on LinkedIn, Dennis. So moving forward, for anyone that's tuning in that's thinking of taking the leap, starting their own company, or anyone that's just set up their new business, have you got any tips, any golden nuggets of advice that could make their first few months, weeks, or the first year less stressful than... uh, because you perhaps learned the hard way before. Yeah. So, you know, what I'd like to share that might be very helpful, and this is something that I've worked on recently, and I think it might be relevant. And I I wrote an article and actually did a podcast on it. It's, it's, I think it was seven tips to grow a seven figure business. And it, it takes kind of from startup to seven figures. And so I can, I obviously can't do a deep dive on them, but I could walk, kind of walk through some of those elements that people want to take a look at to really consider. Um, you know, number one is you got to develop a growth mindset, right? You've got to have an abundance type mindset. That mindset is a, in a startup is, is really critical. And I don't want to spend a ton of time on that, but if you're, but if you're have a scarcity mindset, you're going to really struggle no matter what business you're in, right? Number two, you got to look for product market fit. And so, you know, most, most entrepreneurs come up with an idea and they fall in love with that idea or they fall in love with that product or that widget or that app or that website or that com. And, and what they do is they fail to validate that idea direct with their, their market, right? So they, they spend three months or six months or a year building it and then they launch it to crickets versus taking more of a lean approach, which is going out to the market and really understanding that market and trying to figure out product market fit before you invest a lot of time and energy. And so that product market fit is a really important one to spend upfront, right? Um, and then another big one for me, you know, if you want to build a seven figure business, it's very hard, a seven or eight figure business that scales. It's very hard to build a business around one-off products, right? If, I'm big on having a recurring income stream. So it's a, rec, you know, a recurring business model where they either, you know, a membership, um, a retainer, um, some sort of, like in my freight industry and in the logistics industry, you know, it wasn't uncommon for a client to do 50 or $100,000 a year. That would be a small client in revenue for you, right? And so having a recurring business model whether that be through the natural purchase of the product, like I just like in the logistics and transportation, or whether that be an ongoing upsells or downsells of other products, um, having that is really important because the cost of acquiring a company, a customer is really expensive. It's very difficult. And so you got to be able to leverage them, you know, beyond that initial sale. Number four is, you know, you got to build a great team. And so that's, that's obviously goes without saying, Hiring people that are smarter than you is really the key. You don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. Uh, and if you are, you need to really get to work because that, that's, it's only going to scale so far. You're going, to, you're going to hit your head on the ceiling very quickly. So hiring becomes a really important part of that. Um, maybe not as much as far as in the startup, but in, you know, after six months, a year, 18 months, that team is going to have to evolve to start taking on some responsibilities. Cause if you're touching every piece of paper, you become the bottleneck, right? So you got to build a great team. Um, the other thing that's really interesting is, you know, you, I heard Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk put it the best and it, it kind of solidified in my mind in that every company needs to act like a media company. Right. Okay. And so we have a mutual friend, right? His name's James Carberry. Sure. And James has a company called Sweetfish media where they do, podcast production for brands. And so that's a perfect example of traditional companies that normally wouldn't look at themselves as a media company, 
are now positioning themselves more as a media company, right? And so I think every company needs to start looking at themselves as a media company. Even though you don't sell advertising and that's not necessarily what generates your revenue, you need to start creating and distributing content because it is, it's the lube that is literally going to uh, drive the way for you to, you know, to see significant growth and scale, right? Especially right. if you focused in on a brand. So that's a big one. And, you know, I, I credit Gary Vaynerchuk with that, but it was in my mind that I knew that that was a key component, but I just didn't know how to frame it. And he did, he did a great job with that. Um, and then obviously identify the things that are working, you know, identify the things that are working and quadruple down. Don't, don't get, you know, FOMO and fear of missing out and don't get shiny object syndrome. You know, don't think that you need to be doing a hundred things, find one or two things that are working and then quadruple down on them and really focus on it and wring that rag out because they will not work forever. I promise you, they won't work forever. There will be a life cycle. They will evolve. It will change. But while you've got that grape, you need to squeeze it as much as you possibly can and extract as much juice out of it as you can, rather than diverting your attention into a million different directions. Um, another one's create great systems. Um, you won't scale without good systems, right? It, it just goes to, with, you know, they save time, you know, they create consistency, um, they're repeatable, right? It makes hiring easier, it makes onboarding customers easier, systems are just really critical. And then one of the other ones, and I'll, I'll leave it at this, and that is um, reinvest your profits back into your business. I don't know how many small business owners I see that even when they have a great month or they have a great quarter, they have a great year, all the profits go in the hip national bank and they don't reinvest those profits into their business. And it's going to be very hard to scale unless you're willing to take those profits and reinvest them into whatever strategies are working. Whether if it's content, you need to reinvest in that. If it's paid, you need to reinvest in that. If it's team, if you need to hire more team members, you need to reinvest in that. But it shocks me how Rarely that actually happens in a small business. They don't reinvest the profits because they're more focused on putting it in their own pocket or in their own bank account. And so those are a few tips that I think any startup or early stage entrepreneur could use. And some of those, again, a lot of those aren't things that I originated, but I think that's a little bit of an operating system for, for, new, uh, for new entrepreneurs or people that are just running a quick startup. And then the last one would be find a mentor, right? Find a mentor okay. or mastermind. I think that would be a really good one too. Um, I'm part of a mastermind with, I've been a part of different masterminds for uh, close to a decade now. And so I think finding a mentor or a mastermind that you can work with be, would be really powerful too. So those are, few, those are a few tips. List. Awesome, man. That's absolute gold dust. So just to quickly recap, maintain a growth mindset, make sure your product has market fit, set up a business that's got recurring um, payments. So that's revenue, software yeah. as a service, recurring revenue. Um, make sure you build a great team. Act like you're a media co in terms of constantly putting out content, whether social channels, whether you want to distribute that content. Um, double down, quadruple down on what's working. Um, set up great systems. Reinvest your profits back into your business. And uh, find a mentor. That's awesome. Brilliant stuff. Thanks very much, Dennis. So everyone, you've been tuning into Sam's Business Growth Show, where we sit down with business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We find out their story how digital marketing has helped along the way and their exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your business. Dennis, we'd like to ask everyone that comes on, if you could thank just one person, either dead or alive, for having a positive influence on yourself and your career, who would that be and why? You know, wow, that's a tough one. 
you didn't prep me on that one. <laughs> so yeah, I think, um, I mean, there's a lot of people that I, that I would have to credit my success to. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to say something a little bit off the cuff. And I think um, I, I would say it's my wife, my, my wife, Danielle. Uh, I have to give her credit. And here's why. I married her when I married her. When, when we first started dating, sh- dating, she knew I was an entrepreneur and she knew I lived a crazy life and she accepted it. And she knew that there was going to be a lots of ups and downs. And throughout the years, she's been the rock for the whole thing. I mean, we got married on September 27th, 2003. And I incorporated that logistics business on October 3rd, 2003. We didn't even take a real honeymoon because I had to start the business, launch the business. And so throughout the years, she's been that rock. So I say, if there was one person that probably had the biggest impact on me and my career, I'd have to say it's my wife, Danielle, and I want to thank her. Well-deserved choice, it sounds like. Yeah, for sure. Trust me. Putting up with me for the last 20 years, 20 plus years, anybody can do that as a saint. Awesome, man. Well, Dennis, tell us a bit more about how people can connect with you, how people can learn from you and the best way to get in touch with yourself and your business and maybe a bit more about your book too. Yeah. So if you guys are into podcasts, which if you're listening to this, um, you know, Sam has a great podcast. I've enjoyed this. Uh, Check out Growth Experts, which is my podcast. I've had it for over two and a half, almost three years now, over 250 episodes. We're a top 50 ranked marketing podcast. So I'd love to hear you over there um, at Growth Experts. If you guys want a copy of my book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful LinkedIn Users, just go to askdennisbrown.com. You'll see a prompt there where you can download it for free. And again, if you want that guide, uh, you know, to the inbound leads, you can just go to askdennisbrown.com forward slash guide. So you can also get that ultimate guide to generating inbound leads for LinkedIn. I think that would be really helpful for anybody who's creating content or considering creating content. So, and just connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me at ask slash ask Dennis Brown, or just, you know, look for my big bald head on the profile. Awesome, Dennis. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Sam. Are you tired of constantly hunting for new customers? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending lots of money on advertising, but your website is failing to convert all of your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of new customers. If you'd like to learn more about our unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you, connect with Sam Dunning on LinkedIn or book a free 20-minute consultation via webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales and business growth tips from the experts.